Chapter Twenty Two of The First Men in the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The First Men in the Moon by H. G. Wells. Chapter Twenty Two. The Astonishing Communication of Mr. Julius Wendigee When I had finished my account of my return to the earth at Littlestone, I wrote THE END, made a flourish, and threw my pen aside, fully believing that the whole story of the first men in the moon was done. Not only had I done this, but I had placed my manuscript in the hands of a literary agent, had permitted it to be sold, had seen the greater portion of it appear in the Strand magazine, and was setting to work again upon the scenario of the play I had commenced at Limpney before I realized that the end was not yet. And then, following me from Amalfi to Algiers, there reached me, it is now about six months ago, one of the most astounding communications I have ever been fated to receive. Briefly, it informed me that Mr. Julius Wendigee a Dutch electrician, who has been experimenting with certain apparatus akin to the apparatus used by Mr. Tesla in America, in the hope of discovering some method of communication with Mars, was receiving day by day a curiously fragmentary message in English, which was indisputably emanating from Mr. Cavour in the moon. At first I thought the thing was an elaborate, practical joke by one who had seen the manuscript of my narrative. I answered Mr. Wendigee jestingly, but he replied in a manner that put such suspicion altogether aside, and in a state of inconceivable excitement I hurried from Algiers to the little observatory upon the Monte Rosa in which he was working. In the presence of his record and his appliances, and above all of the messages from Cavour that were coming to hand, my lingering doubts vanished. I decided at once to accept a proposal he made to me, to remain with him, assisting him to take down the record from day to day, and endeavouring with him to send a message back to the moon. Cavour, we learnt, was not only alive, but free, in the midst of an almost inconceivable community of these ant-like beings, these ant-men, in the blue darkness of the lunar caves. He was lamed, it seemed, but otherwise in quite good health, in better health, he distinctly said, than he usually enjoyed on earth. He had had a fever, but it had left no bad effects. But curiously enough he seemed to be laboring under a conviction that I was either dead in the moon crater, or lost in the deep of space. His message began to be received by Mr. Wendigee when that gentleman was engaged in quite a different investigation. The reader will no doubt recall the little excitement that began the century, arising out of an announcement by Mr. Nikola Tesla, the American electrical celebrity that he had received a message from Mars. His announcement renewed attention to fact that had long been familiar to scientific people, namely, that from some unknown source in space, waves of electromagnetic disturbance, entirely similar to those used by Signor Marconi for his wireless telegraphy, 
are constantly reaching the earth. Besides Tesla, quite a number of other observers have been engaged in perfecting apparatus for receiving and recording these vibrations, though few would go so far to consider them actual messages from some extraterrestrial sender. Among that few, however, we must certainly count Mr. Wendigee. Ever since 1898 he had devoted himself almost entirely to the subject, and being a man of ample means, he had erected an observatory on the flanks of Monte Rosa, in a position singularly adapted in every way for such observations. My scientific attainments, I must admit, are not great, but so far as they enable me to judge, Mr. Wendigee's contrivances for detecting and recording any disturbances in the electromagnetic conditions of space are singularly original and ingenious and by a happy combination of circumstances they were set up and in operation about two months before Cavour made his first attempt to call up the earth. Consequently we have fragments of his communication even from the beginning. Unhappily, they are only fragments, and the most momentous of all the things that he had to tell humanity, the instructions, that is, for the making of Cavorite, if indeed he ever transmitted them have throbbed themselves away unrecorded into space. We never succeeded in getting a response back to Cavour. He was unable to tell, therefore, what we had received or what we had missed. Nor, indeed, did he certainly know that anyone on earth was really aware of his efforts to reach us. And the persistence he displayed in sending eighteen long descriptions of lunar affairs as they would be if we had them complete, shows how much his mind must have turned back towards his native planet since he left it two years ago. You can imagine how amazed Mr. Wendigee must have been when he discovered his record of electromagnetic disturbances interlaced by Cavour's straightforward English. Mr. Wendigee knew nothing of our wild journey moonward, and suddenly this English out of the void— it is well the reader should understand the conditions under which it would seem these messages were sent. Somewhere within the moon Cavour certainly had access for a time to a considerable amount of electrical apparatus, and it would seem he rigged up, perhaps furtively, a transmitting arrangement of the Marconi type. This he was able to operate at irregular intervals, sometimes for only half an hour or so, sometimes for three or four hours at a stretch. At these times he transmitted his earthward message, regardless of the fact that the relative position of the moon and points upon the earth's surface is constantly altering. As a consequence of this, and of the necessary imperfections of our recording instruments, his communication comes and goes in our records in an extremely fitful manner. It becomes blurred, it fades out in a mysterious and altogether exasperating way. And added to this is the fact that he was not an expert operator. He had partly forgotten, or never completely mastered, the code in general use, and as he became fatigued he dropped words and misspelt in a curious manner. Altogether we have probably lost quite half of the communications he made, and much we have is damaged, broken, and partly effaced. 
In the abstract that follows, the reader must be prepared, therefore, for a considerable amount of break, hiatus, and change of topic. Mr. Wendigee and I are collaborating in a complete and annotated edition of the Cavour record, which we hope to publish, together with a detailed account of the instruments employed, beginning with the first volume in January next. That will be the full and scientific report, of which this is only the popular transcript. But here we give at least sufficient to complete the story I have told, and to give the broad outlines of the state of that other world so near, so akin, and yet so dissimilar to our own. End of chapter.